Welcome everyone to the 37th episode of the New Gen Mindset Podcast. I'm Dan Kozell here with, um, how many times I have to introduce you every time? Why don't you introduce yourself every now and then? <laughs> but because you start to, you decide to introduce me. You don't have to introduse me. We're good to go. <laughs> no, I'm so, kidding. So we got, we got Nick, Nick Tartagli over here. Um, I, I try to mix it up this time, right? Because we've always, we've always done the same thing. Um, okay. So let's start with this. What's, what's, um, Okay. So, because, you know, we, we haven't spoken as much lately. We've had some guests and so we haven't had much time. We haven't had much time to really focus on just where we are relative to the overall market. You know, it's been a year now and COVID. So like, where, where's your head at with everything? Yeah. What are you, what are you looking at? What do you, where do you, where do you see risks? Where, 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 where are you cautious about? Like, I think the first thing that we got to take a look at right now, um, and I use a very top-down approach, as do you, um, but we just had a transition of power in the United States. Um, We're not going to focus on the political side of it. That's not what the purpose of this discussion is going to be. But I think what's really important is to understand, okay, there has been a shift in power. It was peaceful. Most people thought it was going to be chaotic. It was peaceful. Um, that's another conversation, but Mm -hmm. the risks right now that I see are going back to what happened back in March of last year. And we've talked about this multiple times, the infinite money printing that's going on. It's destroying the dollar value. Yeah. Well, the U S dollar is almost at is basically hanging at lows. Everything else is going up, which is also reflected in the commodity prices going up because it all tethered back to the U S dollar. Yeah. So the risk that I see right now is something where the only place that people or investors can really invest in, I'm just going to take this mask off here, um, are in the stock market. And the one big risk that I see right now is margin calls. Mm -hmm. And let me explain real quickly what a margin call is. Well, essentially what a margin call is, is you as an investor can open something called a margin account and in that account, you can borrow against your assets in that account. Now, Forex accounts, you can go 300 to one, 400 yeah, to one, 400, 500. Ab- absolutely insane. <laughs> and I would, never, I would never do that. But the behavior of some people in this market right now is they're over leveraging their positions. So what happens, God forbid, and I think we're, we're it might not happen this month, oh, it might course. not happen. It might not even happen for the next six months. But when it does happen, exactly, it's always a matter of when, not if. Yeah, when it does happen, and if the market continues to inflate the way it's doing, we're seeing we're seeing bubbles in pretty much everything right now. Yeah. We'll talk about EVs in a sec, but and the one point nine still hasn't been injected. It, exactly. So the one thing that I, the big risk that I'm seeing right now is when those margin calls start blowing up. So what happens is when you have a margin call as an investor your brokerage basically tells you you have a margin call which means that your 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 threshold in the, in in your account is is diminishing so the percentage of the margin between your assets and the margin are decreasing that means you need to deposit more cash into the account so the question now becomes okay are you in a position where you've got other cash flow streams coming in to put into your account or are you possibly the vast majority of millennials right now who are essentially taking you know, the stimulus checks, they're just, they might Mm -hmm. not even be working and And over leveraging themselves and over leveraging themselves because they're just like, yo, I saw a guy on wall street bets, by the way, great page. Everybody should follow that. But I saw a guy on wall street bets make, 
11 million dollars on an options trade on gamestop last week <laughs> i want to do that too and i'm just like listen those are the one in a million that get, get the lucky you know it, it's just I, I look at that and i'm just like dude like everybody wants to do that but you yeah. have to understand that the psychology and the dynamics behind that i so think when- you know what you know what's crazy i just want to say this is like social media with the way we the way we've clearly seen how people become like fascinated with new things in social media prior to the way they like it was crazy before but like 2020 kind of like blew it out of proportion because obviously kind of like you know we said would the protests have happened back in after the covid law if people weren't put into lockdowns would all that have happened so it's like it, the whole being locked at home can't move can't socialize kind of has created this new world in people's minds that they've kind of connected with their social network and i think that they're overloaded with so much financial information information and of people making money that they somehow think it's be, that it's it's an absolute norm and so it's like so that's only is- fueling with that that negative like that fear of the margin call it's being added with the fact that oh prices are going down i'm just going to keep adding oh it doesn't matter stocks always go up ah more stimulus money keep putting money in but like you 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 like you're not you're not balancing out your balance sheet as an individual level. You're not hedging yourself against the inflation and deflationary environments uh, of cost what? of living significantly rising. Let let me ask you a quick question. Why why do you think that is? Like, but besides the fact that mm. yes, we have been we're pretty much we've been isolated. Yeah. You know, everyone's working from home. Everyone's got a smartphone. I mean, you know, it's a great time to be an entrepreneur, but why do you like even though there's so much information that's being coming through like why are people why are millennials why are even you know the the whole why is the whole investor sphere behaving like this i think it's i think it's really really correlated to a a lack of um one a lack of historical financial understanding of so like they just they're, they're not contextualizing history or cycles or what experience in financial markets actually really means rather than just seeing people make money and then assuming that it's that simple. So there's all, I think there's a heavily lack of contextualization. You see an image, you see a video, you see people bragging about making money, but you don't realize they're just trying to funnel this perception. Then in reality, it, 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 it doesn't like, I don't, it's really rare to find someone who just starts making money. 2020 was an exemption because of the amount of money that was injected into the market. So people are feeling full of their, their ego was fueled this year. It was driven heavily by the stimulus, but people are confusing that, that the fact that it's wall street, uh, that it's wall street and Washington driving primarily the way the prices are moving and not the fact that you knew exactly what you were doing as a call or what you, where you place your capital. It's more luck and, perfect timing than anything else by the way you mean that from a very objective viewpoint yes. as well not because yeah, 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 yeah. because it might come off as like oh we're complaining it's like no we we want to no, take a 100 and this is the yeah, psychological exactly. behavior that's exactly like right like now. us like me and you like like for example i'm very neutral when it comes to bitcoin as an example but it doesn't mean i'm not going to allocate capital and try to make money off of it i i'm still gonna there's there's playing they're playing the game of making money and then there's just being objective and neutral information and seeing what side what's happening with the asset class or whatever how's the market feeling about it what's the psychological trends what's the macro perspective what's the geopolitical risks and then you just you play with it if you see things are getting compounding in a, in a negative direction even though the prices continue to rise then you feel like well it doesn't make sense anymore and then you know you can get off and 
you minimize your downside risk. But if things get better and the price is still low, then you know you can go back in or you continue to play that trend. So being objective is really about just being able to see our negatives and our positives relate in relation to where we're strategically allocating our capital. Because you can't, like as an investor, you can't just look at a market and just be like, yeah, things just go up. Because then you look at Japan and it's like, well, that doesn't didn't work out. So uh, clearly we, there's something wrong there, you know? I, I, would, love, I would love to get... Um... Riz back on when there is this correction and this crash because he he's obviously this is the stuff that he's warned about is like when you make there there's a there's a quote out there it's like when you make money very fast early mm -hmm. on it builds ego but when you yes. make money over the course of your life and you build wealth it creates character mm -hmm. because there's always struggles in between there so I really like that quote but um, especially right now I mean let's take one step back okay we talked about the margin calls great. That's yeah. something that most investors should pay attention to. I do not recommend. Again, I'm not an advisor, but I do not suggest anybody over leverage. Yeah, not in this environment. Not right. in this environment. Yeah, because yeah. You, will, you will get destroyed. Your, your downside risk is too big it, right now. It, it's way too hot. The other thing that's happening is there's this whole... So as soon as Biden comes in, there's this whole idea of green energy. Mm -hmm. So I've never seen so many EVs go yeah. public in a span of the last eight months. Mm -hmm. You've got another EV... Um, I forget the name of the company, but they're going they're going public through a name uh, through a SPAC. Um, they just, they're they're going public like this week, and I think that's like the twelfth or like the fourteenth. And that's company. being fueled by the stuff by the and, uh, the and, money and, being given to people. Exactly. So you know this idea of ESG. I mean, it's a great concept, but like it's it's getting to a point now where the bubble is so inflated. And by the way, no disrespect to Tesla. If, you know, Tesla is a great company, but at these valuations. Yeah. It's but remember, it's like the episode we did, right? It's, it's, we, we talk about Tesla as a investment opportunity. We and don't talk about Tesla and Elon as though that's a shit company. It's just being an investor, you your framework and your perspective always has to be slightly different than if you're actually running a business. Exactly. So going back to sort of the whole bubble situation, I mean, the graphs are all parabolic. Mm. And, you know, what you had said, Nick, where it's just like, hey, like, yeah, I just buy, I keep buying and my, my portfolio keeps going up. I was talking to a, a few brokers like these past few weeks, and they're just like, this feels like 1999, <laughs> 1999, 2000, when the tech boom was happening. There's all these public companies, all these companies that are going public at these absurd valuations. Everyone's buying, everyone's mm -hmm. making money. And as soon as the bubble popped, a lot of people lost a lot of money. Just ask people about Nortel. When right. liquidity, when liquidity stops, man, yeah. when that liquidity stops and then people start realizing how things becoming expensive and, and people's savings get marginalized, which destroys their cushion. It's like, you, what people don't realize is as a retail investor, we're not the ones that are driving the market. We're simply the guys trying to seek momentums and trends. That's all we can do as the fish, as a fish in the pond. What you have to do is pay attention to how large capital flows on a global scale. And that's where you see the whales. The whales are the ones that dictate the overall trends. Or if you get mass adoption to create a significant trend direction, like for example, Bitcoin is starting to create that trend direction, but it still has a lot of barriers to go through in order to solidify a long-term trend. But in relation to the overall market, people don't realize is that as this continues and, and, and institutions start realizing, well, hold on a second, unemployment is not being solved. The businesses continue to collapse. Uh, social chaos is all-time high. Political chaos is at all-time high. Um, you have social economic statuses that keep dividing, getting bigger and bigger. Um, 
then you have evaluations that don't make sense. It's these guys, these institutions, they're trading not their own money, right? These guys are using money that belong to clients and wealthy people. So there's going to be a point in their mind, they're going to go, guys, it is time for us to preserve our capital and minimize our risk because things have become out of, out of blown in this market. So who's going to start the reversal trend? It's going to be the institutions. And, but guess what? They're going to mess with you because that's how they do it. They're going to go down a bit. They're going to, they're, they're kind of like market makers. They're going to make you feel, entice you to buy more at a dip because you think stocks always go up and then they're just going to keep messing with you in that. And then eventually you're going to see accounts going to get blown and that's where the margin calls come in. That's when people stop limits are going to get ticked out. It's it, it, I don't think the next year or two is going to be a pretty year for retail investors. If they don't start understanding more of the macro dynamics that are driving the overall market, rather than just simply thinking stocks just go up because there's nothing to validate that. I want to play a little bit of devil's advocate with you and say that it is the best time to be a retail investor because <laughs> you have all these resources available yes. to you. That is a plus. The question now becomes, okay, the behavior that's surrounding it. Are people the opportunity throwing... to become a retail investor is at its all time. I agree very, with that. Very true. Yeah. But the complexity of the market is probably also at its all time high. Yeah. And you know what? Let's take a look at GameStop for two seconds. Yeah. Um, tell me about that. I haven't, I, what happened with that exactly? So they had, first of all, for those of you that don't know, GameStop, ticker symbol is GME on the New York Stock Exchange. I believe it's on the New York Stock Exchange. Anyway, um, this is a, uh, a gaming store. They own a bunch of retailers, uh, retail gaming stores all over the, all over the United States. Um, and every time that there was like a crazy game announcement or, you know, a PlayStation or a new console, I mean, the lines were through the doors. The, the stock yesterday or this past week had a, I don't know if anybody is listening is familiar with Cytron, yeah. or, um, but they they're are a, a huge shorting. Uh... They're, they're, they're a huge short selling uh, hedge fund. And all they do is they try to identify companies that are ridiculously valued and they build cases for them and they try to short sell it. The problem was the retail market really took this one over and it's pretty incredible. When you see the short squeeze that happened, for those of you that don't know what a short squeeze is, it's essentially when shorts get squeezed out of their position and because they get squeezed out, they have to buy the stock. And when the stock gets bought, it drives the price higher. So if you look at a one day chart uh, on Thursday or Friday of last week, you see that there is literally a parabolic jump and that is the short squeeze. Now, the reason that happened was because well over 180% of the shares were short. The short float was like insane. And the volume on the stock, I think, was about 195 million shares were traded. The wow. total What's shares the out. Do you know what the market cap is? I don't remember what the market cap was. I'll check. And I'll check. Keep going. Keep going. I'll check. Yeah. So the, 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 the story there is when you see a movement like that and then people say, well, should I buy the stock? That is the worst time to be buying a stock. Absolutely. And this is, this is the behavior that's compounding over many assets right now, because people, when they see a stock doing extremely well, they just assume right away that it's a great time to be invested in it. And I look at that and I'm just like, I always tell people, like I, I get messages from, from people saying, is now a good time to buy this stock? Yeah. And I'm sure you get the same thing. And I always mm. say, look at the chart right now. Mm -hmm. Look at the downside risk. What if you yeah. get at the top and that thing collapses? Are you going to be comfortable with that? That's the mm -hmm. question I always ask. And if they say, yeah, I'm like, okay, do what you want. But if they say, no, I'm too scared. I'm like, you just answered your own question. So mm. you kind of, you, you, that's the perspective that needs to be taking on right now because all these assets are going parabolic yeah. and it's creating this 
dangerous environment where, you know, because other people are making so much money, you know, and I'm sure you're making money. I'm making money too. Like my portfolio and I'm not, I'm again, I'm we're rad- hedging every, we're, as every day goes by, we're just hedging ourselves more yeah, and like more. I, I'm buying more gold and more silver, even yeah. as the price goes down, because I'm just like, dude, at some point this yeah. well is going to crack and gold and silver have historically done extremely well in, uh, you know, when the stock market pretty much collapses. The other thing that I would say too, and I know I'm rambling here, but, um, <laughs> the tenure, is the yep. most important thing that everybody needs to pay attention to. That, that's been weird. The 10-year bonds, the way it was below one, now it's back above. It's, I, have, I have some macro strategists who think that it's being manipulated by the government in order to kind of alleviate short-term appearance problems. So here's the thing about the 10-year, and it's actually above 1%. The 10-year historically has always been the leading metric for the Fed to decide on interest rates. Now, the Fed came out when they cut interest rates to zero when the pandemic started. They said, we're keeping interest rates at zero for three years, Mm -hmm. 2023, right? But that also assumes that the 10-year has to stay well below uh, 1.7 or even 2%. Because if the 10-year starts creeping above those levels, what happens? Well, they're going to have to raise the rates. And what happens when you raise interest rates by 1%? Well, the earnings of stocks get cut by 18. It's just a historical metric. It's always been like that. Well, what happens? Stocks are going to collapse. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say like collapse, but they will They will sell off. It crash, a correction. So, 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 correction. So, so this is the dynamic that a lot of people, when they see just stocks going up, I always say, do you know what the tenure is too? Mm-hmm. Like, what is that? I'm like, go read about this. This is you probably see, the most, most important- lack- Go ahead, go ahead, finish. I was just going to say, it's the most important metric that as an investor, you should be paying attention to because this dictates yeah. the flow of capital. This they, dictates- there's a huge, Yeah, there's a huge and significant uh, lack of uh, contextualization with with like with all the very like the stock market is is not just a stock market the stock market is an ecosystem that exists on top of an economy so when we look at the 10-year bonds when we look at 30-year bonds when you look at the gold price when you look at how institutions are trading when you look at where where new capital is flowing when you're looking at how the stimulus is one of the primary factors and why the market's being driven up it's like you cannot just look at one variable and say, oh yeah, let's go, let's go. Things keep, you have to contextualize. There's so many other variables that are impacting the overall direction of the market that without that contextualization, you're going to get blindsided. And that's the biggest fear that comes back to the retail people with the margin calls and, 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 and how much money was, has been over, like the interest rates at zero. How much, how much money are people over leveraging themselves at these low rates just to think they're going to make their money back this year, next year? Well, because here's, here's the issue, right? The more debt you have on your balance sheet, the, more, the higher your net worth, right? <laughs> to a certain degree, right? Yeah. Like that's how companies get valued. Like if you put debt on your balance sheet, you actually get a higher valuation. So that's the other thing too, is you, you want to look at companies that are not overly leveraged right now. Um, and there are a lot, but I mean, at these valuations, even though I think, you know, Warren Buffett's way of investing for most millennials is like, oh, it's too boring. It's not, it's not working, but you know, like the, I think the, it's just them. They, they don't know. They, I, I don't think, I think that a lot of retailers don't realize that when we say stocks and equities, 
there's so many different asset classes within the equity market that you can get exposure to that it doesn't mean that everything is overvalued. It's just that when we say the general market might come down, yes, because of the significant weighted uh, market caps and the S&P that might come down, but it doesn't mean that small caps can't perform well. It doesn't mean that specific industries within the equity markets won't do well as well. Like it, you're still, there's still always opportunities. It's just a matter of where you look within the equity market. Here, here, here's the other thing too that I would say, and um, I think this also comes down to where you get your information from. Yeah. I do not read anything mainstream related to finance. The only time I will do that is if it's related to something you know the Fed or Bank of Canada are doing, because as soon as something is published on those platforms, it's too late. So there's a really good website and I, I pretty much get a lot of insights as to what's happening as well. It's called Zero Hedge. Mm, I highly yeah. recommend, and I know you read it too, but I highly recommend people check out this website because they have a very unbiased approach to everything. Maybe a little bit on the political side. I mean, it is a little bit, you know, yeah, center, but, center right. But zero, but, hedge, zero hedge people, they tend to be like, uh, a lot of them do play with currencies and Forex. Yes. And yes. so like when you trade Forex and currencies, it's heavily correlated to geopolitical and like politics and Federal Reserve. So it, it, in that sphere of asset, of, of, okay, I won't say asset because currencies aren't considered an asset. In that sphere, you know, like they have to pay attention to a lot of politics. So, you know, like, again, people have to contextualize the, the framework of through which they, they portray their information. I, I agreed. And I think it's, you know, this is the stuff that most millennials too need to understand is where you're getting your information from. Yeah. Because I have a feeling that a lot of younger millennials are looking at TikTok, they're looking to Instagram. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's creating, it's creating, I, I don't want to say it's bad. It's creating this opportunity of like a new avenue to get your information from. But all of a sudden, everybody is quote, and I'm saying quote, but like an expert. Yes, and but that's what I mean by bad. You know, it's like, it's this bubble that's like, it's this fantasy bubble that's being created that I find bad because yes, granted being an investor, the biggest lesson is when you make a lot of mistakes. So this environment could create a lot of stronger investors at, re at a retail level. But then the question becomes, will they see that as that? Or will they see this as a failure and then completely be afraid, kind of like what happened in the dot-com boom when boomers rushed in and then all of a sudden they lost out and lost money and then they got afraid of the stock market. So they said, that's why they got out and they said, well, I don't do stocks because of what happened in 2000. Uh, it, it scared me. Uh, things don't always just go up. This could happen again with, with the millennial generation. And again, it might not happen this year. It could take another couple of years to, to really develop. But hundred yeah, percent, I'm just, again, I, I saw a graph yesterday and I was just like, this is insane. Mm -hmm. The level of margin calls, the level of margin call debt from a year ago, and I have it here right now, actually, um, is sitting at about almost $200 billion. And it's gone like parabolic. So yeah. it's like, th this is... That is due in part because of the zero interest rates. That's also due because of the stimulus because people think that they're invincible. But when, when the going is going to get tough, like these people are going to get wiped out. I yeah. hate to say it. I hate to say it. So like, if you're listening right now, please don't be one of those people. Hedge yourself, man. If you want to take risky upside moves, you have to cover your downside with, with cushion and hedge and other value assets to minimize your downside risk. Because yes, if the market, it's, you can't, the, the, the thing about markets is you can't predict exactly when. What you can do is day-to-day -day observe, weekly observe, monthly observe, 
and bit by bit adapt your strategy according. Like because of the stimulus that's coming in the $1.9 trillion, you can still see upside direction. But if they said we're raising interest rates and there will be no more stimulus, I'm telling you the market would panic and institutions would start pulling out all the capital because they want to preserve their profits and not risk losing all the profits they just made of hundreds of, of multitudes of percentage returns in one year. Very, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's just there's you got to pay attention to these things, man. Like yeah. it, it, it's so it's so I, I'm saying this because I care about like people's, you know, ambition to, to make money. And the other it's thing objective. that I would, it's objective yeah, to be the, like this. The, the other thing that I would say, too, is my portfolio. And again, I'm bragging here, but I'm just saying hmm. my portfolio is up like 78 percent year to date. Yeah. OK, so I, I looked at it and I was just like, OK, this is. This is nuts. I need to start taking profits off. Yeah. Guys, there's nothing wrong with taking profit. There's nothing wrong. Like if if you're up on a stock well above 50 to 75, if you're at a hundred percent, take your cost out. Yeah, exactly. Like everybody let, for, let your let your upside run for free. Let, let your upside run for free. You're riskless at that point. Obviously, put some stop losses in there just so you can actually take yeah. profit if shit really gets really bad. But um, like there's nothing wrong with taking profit, especially when stocks have gone fully parabolic. Now, the yeah. other thing that I would say too, is when I say take profit, that doesn't mean sell your entire position. Yeah. I would rather be in the market with a lot of cash on the sidelines, right? Ready to roll when, when, you know, the market gets absolutely obliterated and be ready to buy companies that are probably going to be available at very, you know, cheap discounted prices. But mm -hmm. it's actually, and this goes back to what you said, well, like the boomers, they got scared of the dot-com bubble. Mm -hmm. The reality is even during that time, if obviously, we were, you know, we were, we were toddlers at the time, but even during that time, I feel like if you would have stayed in the market and like weathered the storm and just said, fuck it, like I have a very long-term time approach to this. Companies like Amazon, Apple, like you'd be up like, you know, thousand percent right now. So that's the long-term horizon. Long-term, the stock market will do well, I think, you know, just based on history. Hopefully, but we don't have we, a Tokyo scenario, but, the, right? the, but that's the situation, right? It's what, like, because the thing is, is like we were talking prior to the starting, this is the Yellen thing, okay? So now the new head of the treasury for the government, which used to be the chairman of the Federal Reserve, which the Federal Reserve is designed to be independent of the government. But there's a lot of macro guys that are theorizing that this is where you're going to start seeing the merger of the Federal Reserve and the Treasury together, where you're going to see monetary policy and fiscal policies really, really starting to correlate in in uh, tandem together. And Yellen, who's very much a Keynesian type of uh, economist who focuses heavily on employment and GDP, she even said it herself, give the support to the market that is needed, worry about debt later. Yeah, but you can't just say that when the tr the, the United States debt load is at the trillion at thirty trillion dollars and could easily go to the forty trillion dollars in a year or two, you, you can't just say forget about debt and worry about it later because now it's like whoa. When, at a certain point, when you dig a big hole, you, there's no getting out of that hole. You're stuck in the hole after, and that's where Japan is. It's hot. It goes back to Ray Dalio's. Um long-term debt cycle right? yeah the hundred year that's we're in that year right now that's the other issue you know so, and it's and if you look at if you contextualize so if you contextualize well how come the united states is different in, in a much longer time cycle what people have to contextualize is from a an economic macro perspective the united states is the kind of well i'm going to say was because china, i think china is the new king of the global economy now 
especially because of what they did now with 2020 and COVID. But the United States was the central uh, economy of the world. Because of that, they had strength and they were able to smoke screen and not worry as much about their dead load because the whole world depended on them. So they still had a lot of strength. Well, the, so, just, I want to interrupt yeah, you. Yeah. Uh, under Trump, the U.S. became energy independent. That's yes, huge. and that significantly helped them too, exactly, because they didn't need to depend on external forces for their oil. And that helped also bring the prices of oil down was uh, their dependency. So that was also a good thing for Canada. So the issue now becomes that, well, you can only push your debt problem so long and so far into the future because eventually it does catch up to you, even though the distribution of your, of your frequency is much, it, it, it takes on a, um, occurs on a much longer time frame. Japan occurred on a smaller time frame because Japan is not the global, is not the, the hub of the global economy. United States is. So they were able to defer, push, and alleviate those problems by smoke screening or you know, bring in foreign capital or bring in more people. But eventually you're reaching a point where it just it can't be solved. And that's where Ray Dalio's 100-year debt cycle is coming into problem. And he's not alone. You know, you have, you have all kinds of economists, uh, libertarians, you have macro strategists. Now you're starting to see hedge funds and institutions talking about this. Yeah. The Bank of America is talking about it. Yeah. You know, so it's like, uh, I mean, our, our, you know, our guest from last week, uh, yeah. Rick Rule was talking about it too. I mean, there's only, there's only so much money that can get printed before it really starts getting bad. Cause people um, don't realize that there's a cost to that. You know? Yeah. So I want to leave it on one thing. Cause you know, we want to make this episode a little bit short cause I'm sure people are tired of hearing us talk right now. I'm joking, but um, we're going to have a lot of other guests coming on, particularly in the metal space, because we, Nick and I, I think you and I really believe yeah. that the metal space is going to be the place where you can actually hedge when stuff gets really bad. Um, I do believe in cryptocurrencies, or in this case, I do believe I'm bullish on Bitcoin, but I think in the short term, it's going to experience some very aggressive volatility. But, but um, the one thing that I would say right now is look at the macroeconomics, the way we've been talking about, right? You gotta look at you gotta look at the world from a macro sphere and not just from an Big individual picture. stock, right? Big picture, top down. Right now, With, is the most important. Exactly. So, just to build on what you said about you know the U.S. now kind of losing its superpower of like an an economic machine and China really taking over. Well, and I mean, and again, we're not trying to get political, but Joe Biden signed an executive order last week banning the Keystone Pipeline. Yeah, that's seventy thousand jobs. That's 70,000 workers that could be paid on, on certain things. The guy ran his campaign on helping unions, and now the unions are all freaking out. This is a fact. I'm not being political. This is actually yeah, yeah. what is going on. So I want people to really think about that. It's like, well, if you have an incoming guy who wants to kill jobs because to him it's not, it's not clean energy, right? But it adds economic value and kind of shortens or the or reduces sort of the debt burden for the long term, right? How is this going to affect the entire market? Well, from an energy standpoint, it might actually help, you know, the solar is the winds of the world, but the solar and the winds are not sustainable for the entire world or the entire, uh, you know, territory in North America. You can only do that in Arizona, California, whatever, whatever there's like good weather. But there's a lot of stuff excuse me, there's a lot of questions right now as to where this is going to go. And I think yep. it's something to really pay attention to because if this continues and there's no actual plan to get those jobs back, you're going to see unemployment go back up. Yeah. 
even in Canada too, because that yeah, affected Alberta, 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 yeah. Alberta, Alberta, particularly like if, if we, if we get back to a situation in the summer where unemployment starts creeping back up and, and it stocks, will, I, and, I think it will. And, and stocks are still going up. Like get out. I mean, <laughs> how, how big of, how, how big of a warning sign do you need at that point? Right. It's right so, now. I, right now I think the, uh, the, the employment numbers are smokescreen because they're, they're, they're being subsidized by government and stimulus through businesses. So I, even now, I think that give it a year and you're going to see real, like real negative metrics. GDP is going to be coming back down. You're going to see unemployment. that's going to be much higher again because you can't smoke screen anymore. Canada, watch Canada. They're going to have to print some more money here too. There's no way they're not printing money. It's insane. Are, they, are, we, down. are we, are we getting an election soon? I, I, think, I think in a year. So, so that's on the horizon. Anyway, yeah. something that, again, something to pay attention to guys. Um, look, we hope you enjoyed this episode. It's really quick, but this is where we're, this is where our heads are at right now, because this is, you, you got to be cautious. You got to be cautious. Pro, take some profits. If you're in the market, um, be optimistic because there's a lot of opportunity out there and it's really a matter of understanding the whole macro sphere as Nick yeah. and I just mentioned. And this uh, is something we've only really like, honestly, as I, I used to be very micro driven in the sense that I didn't, I, I could never contextualize politics and economics as well. I understood, I understood its relevance to a significant degree, but 2020 was the most enlightening year of my life to really, really understand that politics and economics are, are such macro factors that once you understand that, then you can understand your overall directions and you can mitigate your, your downsides and maximize your upsides based on super cycles or when you're at near the, the top of certain cycles. So macro, man, top, it's 2020 was definitely that year. Before that, it was never really a thing for me. So it's, you don't, you don't, you don't enter the world of investing being a genius at the start. It's, it's every year, every day is a learning opportunity. I totally agree with that. Like, don't be complacent, basically. No. So anyway, guys, thanks so much for listening. Um, check us out on our website, www.newgenmindset.com. And we've got a newsletter that's going out every week that we get a new episode. No. Um, some check out the blog. Check out the blog page too. There's a bunch of things there on macroeconomics, uh, a new Bitcoin analysis, the positives and the negatives. Exactly. And Nick's been working really hard on that. So <laughs> thanks, bro. You've been crushing it on that. <laughs> And um, just be on the lookout because there is opportunity everywhere. It's just a matter of yeah. being responsible and taking the right risk and the right approach. So thanks so much for listening, guys. We'll see you next week. Nick, any final words? Guys, keep your heads up. And, uh, and no, if, don't mean if to put you, you on the spot. If you, uh, if, you, uh, <laughs> if you look at this as a game, you always have to think multiple steps ahead like chess. You know, so... They try to try to try to look at investing kind of like a chess game and try to think multi multitudes of steps ahead, you know, and be patient because uh, 2021 is going to show us is it's not it's going to be worse than 2020. That's in my opinion, in terms of overall general dynamics. What, an, what an ominous way to end this episode. <laughs> no well, it's because I want, you know, like I want I just want people to open up their minds and their eyes, you know, like observe observation has become that much more critical in 2021. I totally agree with that, actually. Anyway, guys, thanks so much for listening. Thanks, we'll see guys. you next week. And Ciao. stay safe. <laughs>